Amen. Well, welcome everybody. Good to see all of you. Welcome everybody watching online and at home. And I hope you're all being blessed and encouraged. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5 here, we are continuing on looking at our walk. And we've been taking a great deal of time in the past few sections that we've been in the last few weeks here to look at our walk. And our walk is one that scripture points out becomes very synonymous with our life in Christ or with our character, uh, the things that are, are leading us. Paul has been seeing and showing that our walk really represents who we are. And so Paul's been showing us the specific ways that our walk is to be a walk that really represents Christ. It was a walk that once walked in darkness, but now because of new life in Christ, it's a walk that's to look very differently now. So Paul's been going through that here and looking at how our walk is to resemble now this new life in Christ. It's to resemble that there's been a change. So we've seen this instruction in this second half of Ephesians from chapters four to six. It's kind of like a new section in the book of Ephesians. Chapter one to three dealt with our riches in Christ, the doctrinal side of things. But then chapters four to six moves into our responsibility in Christ, moves from doctrine to duty, to now how we walk in Christ. So here's what we've been looking at here in chapter four, verse one to 16, our walk is to be one of unity. We've seen how our walk is to be one of purity. But now in verse 18 of chapter five, we look at how our walk is to be one of harmony. And then later at the end of chapter six, we'll see how our walk is to be one of Victory. Those are the things that we're going to be looking at. So today we move into this great walk of harmony that's going to be taking us into different uh, kinds of relationships and different spheres of relationships. We're going to be spending a, a bit of time in the next couple of weeks looking at marriage and that's going to be a, a good thing to look at. And even if you're here today and you're not married, well, you'll learn some great things that you can take to your married friends to tell them what they're doing wrong and how they need to fix things, of course. So you can uh, be very much helped in that. But we're going to look at different areas of relationships. Paul's going to move into our, not just marriages, but our family, our workplace, and how we're going to have unity and harmony operating there that, again, that's to be the walk that we're to be living out here. Now, we've been taking a bit of time looking at opposites in the past couple weeks here. Paul's been laying out a number of opposites, opposites from what we once were to what we are now. And so we saw in verse eight that we were once darkness, but now we're what? We're to be light in the Lord. We saw in verse 11 how we're to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather we're to expose them or let our light shine in and illuminate kind of the, the truth there. We saw in verse 15 how we were to walk circumspectly, which means we're to walk carefully and not walk as fools. In verse 17, don't be unwise, but be understanding what the will of the Lord is. So we see these contrasts, these opposites. Now in verse 18, we get to another pretty significant opposite or contrast. Look at what we read in verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So today we get to talk about the subject of alcohol. Amen, right? Uh, the subject of alcohol is one that's been greatly debated among Christians. The, the role of alcohol and the believer, right? And it's had various differing views in different churches. To some, 
Having a sip of alcohol is a complete sin to them. And to others, having a glass of wine or, or a beer is absolutely okay. And, and so we're gonna have perhaps differing views on this. And I'm not gonna tell you what's the right approach over the other one today. If you're still struggling over some of these things after our message today, call me up. We'll go for a beer and discuss it a little bit more. But here's what the Bible does say that is very clear. The Bible says very clearly, do not be drunk. That's what we see is an absolute sin. Drunkenness is a clear sin in the Bible that is to be avoided. The Bible nowhere condemns alcohol, but it certainly condemns drunkenness. Now, again, there's a lot of Christians that feel alcohol is completely accepted. In fact, they see the Bible almost like promoting alcohol to some degree. They'll, they'll use, you know, John chapter two. Well, Jesus turned water into wine. So let it flow. I mean, let's go. Hit the winery, right? This is it. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, he said, no longer only drink water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. And so all those are quite true. Yes, we see that in the Bible. But water in New Testament times was oftentimes you know, filled with various contaminations or bacteria. Drinking water oftentimes is very unsafe, it would make you sick. And so they would have wine and or grape juice to prevent the risk of sickness. And you can make a, a strong case, it's debatable, but you can make a case to say that the wine that was used in Bible times did not have the same kind of alcohol content as wine or other drinks would have today, that, that it was much more diluted. You can, you can debate that, you make a case for that. We do know, some people go to the extreme of saying, oh, they didn't drink actual wine, it was just more like grape juice. But then the Bible talks a lot about drunkenness. So there's obviously alcohol to it that would influence people. So you can't write it off and say, no, it wasn't actually alcohol at all. No, I believe it was alcohol, most likely with a different kind of alcohol content. But nevertheless, Alcohol was not forbidden in the Bible or in the New Testament here. Some churches today still will serve wine as their communion, right? And some of you are going, can you maybe let me know where those churches are? But, um, and yet some, you know, like us, we use good old Welch's grape juice, right? Now what's interesting is Welch's grape juice, right? Dr. Thomas Bramwell Welch created his unfermented grape juice to be a substitute for serving wine and communion at church. See, as the temperance movement was growing in the 1800s as a result of, you know, the excess of alcohol and, and, and the abuse of alcohol, serving wine in churches began to be a bit of a, a problem or a concern among many Christians. Yet, without having the refrigerations as they do in our day and being able to store juice, because if you make grape juice, it's gonna naturally ferment without the refrigeration. So without being able to store it, there was kind of an issue there until, again, Dr. Thomas Bramwell Welch, out of his own kitchen, perfected a juice pasteurization process, copying the breakthrough techniques of Lewis Pasteur and his pasteurization of milk. So in 1869, Dr. Welch began selling Dr. Welch's unfermented wine to churches that wanted to serve non-alcohol juice as a substitute for communion. Very interesting background there, right? How many people knew that? I, I sure didn't know that until just recently. So I say that to say, 
Christians are going to have different views on this subject. And that's okay. You need to be convinced in your own mind what is right, what is appropriate. And, and, and just as we can have differing views on whether churches should be open or not, there's gonna be differing views on that. But guess what? These are not issues that are to divide us. These are not issues to kind of break fellowship over. These are not to be divisive issues. So here's what we can agree on is don't be drunk. But then herein lies a bit of a potential problem with alcohol. How much is too much, right? How much is too much? How many people have you heard say, oh no, I'm not drunk, only to have them like fall off their chair a couple minutes after or walk in a zigzag just to get to the bathroom, right? It's like, what is that line? What is that measurement for some? Because it's gonna be very different for some Drunkenness means when you're, you know, leaning over a toilet, heaving out your guts, or when you're passed out. That's when it is that you're drunk. And I don't think that Paul has any of those scenarios in mind as he talks about drunkenness here. See, drunkenness is the moment that you are under the influence of alcohol. When you're not as alert as you can be, or not as stable as you should be. We've just been looking at a lot of, uh, of key points here that are to be evident in the Christian life, right? I mean, case in point, chapter five, verse 14, Paul says, awake you who sleep, walk circumspectly, he says, walk carefully, redeem the time. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And guess what? I don't think alcohol is gonna help you in any of those things. Nobody's going, let us redeem the time. Let us go and get drunk up and go out and redeem the time. You're gonna recognize that none of that is gonna help you in any of these things. None of these things are gonna help you to be more wise or to understand what the will of the Lord is because alcohol is not a stimulant, it's a depressant. It's not gonna help your cause to be greater imitators of God as Paul had instructed us to be at the beginning of chapter five. Alcohol is not gonna help your cause in being greater imitators of God. So it's always sin to be drunk at any time. And here's why it's such a problem. Here's what Paul says. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I have heard it's very hard to say when you are drunk. Dissipation. No, here's what dissipation means. It, it speaks of a riotous living. Not righteous living. No, the opposite of righteous. Riotous living. Which then speaks of this character of just wild and uncontrolled behavior. Wild and uncontrolled behavior. Other translations will use the word debauchery. Don't be drunk with wine, and which is debauchery. Just wild living. You see, instead of putting off the old man, as Paul has instructed us to be doing here from chapters four on, put off the old man, put aside the things that are a mark of that old nature. Well, alcohol again is not gonna be helpful in any of that. In fact, what alcohol does is it opens the door for that old nature to begin to have its way again. It opens up the door for all those things of the sinful nature, the wild nature, to begin to come out again. Instead of putting off the old man, we end up putting those things back on oftentimes. And that shouldn't be the case for the believer. In fact, the believer should be one that's razor, razor sharp and his senses on full alert. And alcohol, drunkenness certainly, 
will impede that. Here's what the word says about the inherent dangers of alcohol. And there's a few places you can go to in scripture, but Proverbs 23 is a great starting point. It says in verse 29 to 35 of Proverbs 23, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long get the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. His, your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Yikes. Check out that list of the aftermath of too much alcohol. Woe, sorrow, quarreling, complaining, hurts, bloodshot eyes. Sounds wonderful, pour me another, right? This is not the way that God intends life to be for us. These are the repercussions and consequences of drunkenness. It's not fun. People don't get drunk because they like it. It's usually a, a mask for deeper issues and struggles going on. Drinking allows people to escape from these things, but it's so temporary because as we just saw there, you eventually come around and realize that you've only compounded the problems. You've only made things worse. Alcohol hasn't helped any of it. There was a fellow that decided to take off early from work one day and go out drinking. He stayed until the bar closed at 2 a.m., at which time he was really drunk. He made his way home and didn't want to disturb anybody, so he tried tiptoeing up the stairs. As he was walking up the stairs, he got a little bit out of balance and fell backwards, falling right on his behind. Wouldn't have been so bad, except he forgot he had a couple empty bottles in his back pockets. He fell and broke him and sliced up his rear end pretty good. He didn't realize how bad it was until he got up to his room in the bathroom and started undressing and he saw a lot of blood. So he did his best again not to wake anybody up and looking in the mirror did his best to try to bandage himself up and crawled into bed thinking he'd gotten away with it. Well, morning time came and he was kind of hovered under the blankets not wanting to deal with his wife. His wife emerged from the bathroom, said, honey, looks like you're pretty plastered last night. Husband said, what are you talking about? Why would you think I'm drunk? She says, well, the first clue was when I got up and looked at the mirror to see Band-Aids all over it. <laughs> Sounds sort of funny until that person is you or the person that you're married to and you're the one that has to clean up the mess. It happens over and over again and, and then it's no longer funny. It becomes quite tragic. Listen to what Dr. Dar Dr. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He said, wine, alcohol, Pharmacologically speaking, is not a stimulant, it is a depressant. Take up any book on pharmacology and look up alcohol and you'll find always that it is classified among the depressants. It's not a stimulant. Further, it depresses first and foremost the highest centers of all in the brain. They control everything that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, the power to assess everything. In other words, everything that makes a man behave at his very best and highest what the Holy Spirit does, however, is the exact opposite. If it were possible to put the Holy Spirit in a textbook of pharmacology, I would put him under the stimulants, for that is where he belongs. He really does stimulate. He stimulates our every faculty, the mind and the intellect, the heart and the will. Do you see that, my friends? There's a better way 
for believers, for the Christians to live. In fact, people are driven to alcohol oftentimes because they're depressed or they're stressed. They're dealing with the trials, the difficulties of life, oftentimes being met with or dealing with not living up to expectations. And it's very easy when we look at all that Paul's laying out for us in Ephesians here to look at what this walk is like, to look at that and go, how am I gonna live up to this? How am I gonna do this? In fact, we can get very depressed if we're thinking we're the ones that are responsible for this. But here's the great thing, my friends, about Christianity. See, Christianity doesn't just lay out the way to walk. It gives you the power and the ability to walk that way. And it's through the filling of the Holy Spirit. So many people get caught up in this idea that we've got to just try harder. We've got to do more. And we, we go to sleep at night wondering, have I done enough? If the Lord comes back tonight, am I going to be going to heaven? And we wrestle through these things and we worry about these things. But here's the thing, is that the Christian life and, and salvation is not dependent on you. And no longer is, is the Lord or Paul writing in the word of God saying, you've got to just do more. He says, no, you've got to just be filled with the Holy Spirit. As you feel the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to walk that way. I love how the New Living Translation writes that verse. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones pointed out, the Holy Spirit does the opposite of what alcohol does. The Holy Spirit becomes a stimulant in your life, leading you on to live and to walk this Christian walk. As wine affects a person negatively, the spirit affects a person positively. Wine causes a person to be hindered in their performance. The spirit is a stimulant that moves the believer on to greater performance, living for Christ. If we're gonna walk in unity and in purity and in harmony or in victory, we need the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. So Paul says, be filled be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way that this is written in the Greek is, is very interesting because there's a plural, comp, uh, plural command here which is implying that this is not written just for an elect few. Some people might think, well, that being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's for those people over there. That's, that's not for me, is it? No, this is something that's been written as a directive for all people, for every believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is also written with the verb in the present tense, meaning it can be written this way, be being filled in the Spirit or be continually filled in the Spirit. In other words, this is not a momentary, one-time experience for the believer. This isn't something that you just receive at one point now and now just go your merry way. No, this is to be something that is an ongoing experience in the life of the believer. I think for the most part, when Christians are experiencing lethargy or struggle or weakness and defeat, it's because they're failing to walk in the continual filling of the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity. There's a great blessing in that. Now, understand, when we put our trust in Jesus, oh, the Holy Spirit comes in us and indwells in us and we're sealed Paul writes in Ephesians 1 actually verse 13 and 14 that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit all right we're, we're guaranteed of all the the promises that God has for us we're guaranteed the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us but 
as we're seeing here, there's to be an ongoing work. Interestingly, when Jesus rose again from the grave, John 20 tells that he came and he, and he met with his disciples. And he came to his disciples and he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe it's at that point that the disciples were truly born again, regenerated. Now the Holy Spirit is in them. But then he also told them, go and wait in Jerusalem. When you'll receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, right? And you shall be my witnesses. In other words, there's to be an ongoing work here. That word come upon you is that word epi, meaning to overflow in you. Not that the Holy Spirit will just be in you, but the Holy Spirit will be overflowing you, filling you to overflowing. And the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit's poured out and, and the, the disciples are, are going, the church is birthed and there's just a great witness going on. But then you read through the book of Acts and there was to be ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. There's to be this ongoing work. That's why Paul says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't just rely on one-time experience or what's happened in the past. What's happening today? Are you walking in the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the idea that Paul has with the filling of the Holy Spirit is that he's meaning, are you being controlled by the Holy Spirit? Just like you would read elsewhere in scripture when you would hear uh, of those that were filled with wrath or they were filled with envy, it's implying that they were being driven or controlled by that kind of emotion. Here Paul says, are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you being controlled, being led, being driven by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit available to you. That's what Paul is getting at. That's the life that imitates God and glorifies him. This is what Paul has been directing us in. But now he's revealing us, here's the way that that's gonna happen. And next we begin to see how a life that's being filled with the Spirit is gonna be lived out or, or how that's gonna be evidenced. And notice what we see here. We see in the next few verses, there's a life of worship, a life of thankfulness, and a life of submissiveness, all of which is showing the spirit-filled life. Look at verse 19 with me. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. See, when we're filled with the spirit, we're gonna be edifying one another, aren't we? We're gonna, we're gonna be coming alongside one another, desiring to share the good things of the Lord with one another, the wonderful truths of God. And we can do that through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms most likely refers to scripture being spoken and shared with one another, possibly sung to one another. And then hymns, of course, are the songs that share those rich doctrinal truths. And spiritual songs would be any other song that is worshipful and building others up in the truth, our contemporary praise songs would fit into that category. So we combine all these things where we're just, again, making much of Jesus in and through our lives and sharing that with others. All that encompasses worship, but it encompasses much more. Because we, when we speak to one another, that happens in the confines of fellowship. Fellowshipping together how good it is to be together and seek to build one another up in the Lord. So we pass these wonderful things about the Lord on to others. We keep people being directed to Jesus. We share these things, but then we ourselves, it says, just make melody in our heart to the Lord. In other words, we ourselves don't just talk about the Lord to other people, but we talk to the Lord and we sing to him 
out of just a heart filled with joy, making melody in our heart. It's like that idea of just saying, Lord, you're so good. I just sing to you. I worship you. I pray that you are filled in the spirit and having an increased desire to be worshipers of God and encouraging others to do the same. And then we read in verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we've seen how drunkenness affects us negatively. And so as we're filled in the spirit, there, there should be the opposite of that. There should be joy, excitement. There should be no negativity. In other words, a, a, a stinky attitude, a, a complaining heart are no examples of a spirit-filled life. We should be giving thanks always, it says. Giving thanks always for all things. And, and we see the fitting progression here, don't we? Because when you're worshiping God, when you're coming together in fellowship and, and just you know, speaking of the Lord and speaking to the Lord in song, it's very hard to just continue on with a bitter, complaining heart, right? And, and there might be things that you come into church with that's happened through the week that's been difficult, different circumstances that come up where it's sort of you know, been heavy on you and you're kind of grumbling inside. But when you begin to worship the Lord, you begin to get your, your focus and sights on the Lord, it's hard to worship the Lord, right? And be grumbling in your heart, you know? Oh, this is amazing grace. God, why'd that guy have to cut me off? What a jerk. Why do you, this is amazing love. God, why is that person not talking? Like, it's hard to be worshiping the Lord and to be distracted with all the, the problems that you've been going. In fact, when you begin to set your sights on the Lord and worship and singing out in thankfulness to the Lord, all those problems tend to kind of fade away a lot more, don't they? You tend to realize, Lord, forgive me for thinking that. Forgive me for acting that way. God, you're, you're good. I have way more to be thankful for than I do to be complaining over. See, worship gets our attention onto the Lord and his goodness, and we begin to respond in thankfulness. We begin to get excited for what the Lord's done. See, listen, now, now Paul says something here. He says, giving thanks always for all things. Now, that's something that can be hard at times. Giving thanks for all things? Now, there's certain things, right, that you're not always thankful for, right? Like you're driving to work, you get a flat tire, or your car doesn't even start that day. And you're like, you're not sitting there going, thank you, Lord, for making me late to work with my car not stopping. This is a real blessing. Thank you, God. You're not, you're not thanking, Lord. But Paul says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when you begin to look at the big picture and you begin to look at all that God has done for you, we have far more to be thankful for than we ever do to be complaining over. In fact, I've often said, if the Lord never does another thing for me in this lifetime, he's already done the greatest thing for me by which I have reason to be giving thanks for him each and every day and on into eternity because he has saved me with an everlasting love. His grace is immeasurable. I don't deserve anything that God's done for me, but when I begin to get my mind fixed on the Lord and I think about what Jesus has done for me, I have reason to be thankful. No matter what circumstances might come against me, I can be one that is giving thanks because of the riches that I received in and through Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul would go on to say in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God 
in Christ Jesus for you. We may not give thanks specifically for things, but in everything, no matter good or bad, in everything, we can give thanks because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We have reason to be thankful. May we never forget that. And may we live a life of thankfulness. Verse 21, lastly, says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. See, being filled with the Spirit causes us not only to have a right attitude towards different circumstances, but it causes us to have a right attitude toward others. See, we're called to submit to one another. And that is no easy task because by nature, we're those that are very selfish. We like to think about self. But see, that's the old nature, and we've been given a new nature. We've been given a new life in and through Jesus Christ by his Spirit. And so, since we've been given this new nature through the Spirit, we're called to submit to one another. That's what the Bible instructs us to do very clearly. Beginning of Ephesians chapter 4 talked about that. Philippians 2 will talk about that. Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 43, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. We're called to serve one another. That's what the Bible makes very clear for us. Now this word for submit, we don't like that word today. We're gonna get into it in the next verse next week when we have a room uh, full of just men because the the wives like to sit that one out. (laughs) They'll be staying home. But we're gonna see how important it is. But here's the thing, we're called all of us to submit to one another. That might not be a very popular word these days, but that word submit is the Greek word hupotasso, and it means to arrange under. It comes from a military term, meaning to arrange troops under the command of a leader. See, we know that in, in an army there are ranks. And that, and that doesn't mean that the sergeant or the captain is better than a private. In fact, oftentimes you could have a private that's every bit more talented, smarter, more able than the sergeant but it doesn't change that order or rank. On the body of Christ, we arrange ourselves into order of rank. Not that we're all trying to figure out who's the captain. I'm gonna be the captain. You gotta follow. No, Jesus is our captain, and we all bring ourselves under that order of him. We bring ourselves into rank under him. He is the one that we follow and submit to, but then we're called to not only submit to Christ, but to submit to one another. And in fact, it's our submission to one another that we ultimately show our submission to Christ. We're all privates here, submitting to our great captain, submitting to one another, and we do so, it says, in the fear of God. In the fear of God. If you are truly seeking to fear God, this is something that we do without hesitation. And to fear God, again, does not mean that we we cower in fear or worry that we're apprehensive towards God, but to fear God simply means that we want to honor him. We have a deep respect and reverence for God. It means that we don't want to disappoint him. He's called us to love him, to love others, to submit to one another, and that's his calling. We want to walk in obedience to that. We do so because we love him, because he's a good God towards us because he loves us and we don't want to disappoint him in that. That's ultimately what the fear of God is about. And our heavenly father is well pleased when he sees his children giving preference to one another. The Bible makes that clear here in Romans 12, 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. 
Philippians 2, verse 3 to 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let's have a heart that's looking to others, looking to submit to one another, because as we do, we show our submission to God. We show that we're honoring, fearing God. We want to live according to what he's called us to. And we understand that what he's called us to is going to be the best way to live. Maybe you're here today and perhaps even feeling a little dry or empty. And you've been looking at these things here that has been laid out for us here today. And you're going, man, I haven't really felt much like a worshiper. I haven't really been taking that time to, to make much of Jesus to put Jesus at the, at the priority of, of my life and in my speech and, and what I'm sharing with others. I haven't been much of a worshiper and certainly haven't been much of a person of thankfulness lately and, and submission to others. Man, no, I've been kind of actually quite selfish. Maybe there's some areas in your life that are, are ringing true to you and maybe that's just a result of, and you've been walking in dryness and, and you've been emptied and the Lord wants to come and do a work of filling you today and not just filling but filling you with this holy spirit the very energizer the very influencer of our lives that leads us on to walk this way that we've been seeing laid out in ephesians and you need to simply just ask the lord to do that work jesus said in, in the gospel of luke that if you being earthly fathers know how to go give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those that ask him we need to simply ask, Lord, I, I want to be filled with your spirit. I want more of your spirit here in my life today. I want to leave here today feeling like I'm not being influenced by other things or being influenced by my old nature. I want to be influenced by the spirit working and filling my life today. Let's make that our prayer here today. Worship team, would you come up? We're going to close with a song, but let me close this in prayer here today. Lord, we come before you humbly and we recognize our need for you. And God, we do desire more of you and we thank you for this wonderful gift of your Holy Spirit that you sent to empower us, to lead us, to fill us. And today I know that many of us can just feel dry, empty. As we go through this world, we get bumped we get shaken and we get empty, but Lord, you've called us for just these daily fillings of your spirit and we ask today that you do that. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that might be feeling that emptiness, that dryness, and I ask today that you would pour into them your spirit and fill them and lead them on to live these lives that are being imitators of God, representing you, being evident in their walk here today. As your eyes are closed, I just want to ask if there's anybody maybe watching online right now or that are sitting here today. And maybe you've been sitting here listening to this going, man, I don't even know where I stand, let alone being filled with the Spirit, I don't even know where I stand with God. And I want you to know that God has created you to be in relationship with Him because He loves you. He wants to share His life with you. But sin has gotten in the way and messed that up. But God did something about that. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to forgive you of your sin. 
When he died on the cross, he took the very penalty for your sin, which was death. He took the judgment of God for your sin. He took all that so that you would not have to. He died and he rose again, securing life for you, for me, forgiveness of sin. And what you need to do today is simply acknowledge your sin and your need for Jesus to be your savior. And when you call to him and invite him into your life, well, your sins are forgiven, you become a child of God. And that's a free gift he's given you today. And by doing so, you become a child of God. And you are given freely eternal life. Life now and life forevermore. But I want you to know that you need to understand your need today. That you're a sinner. And you need that forgiveness of sin through Jesus. Call out to Jesus. Invite him to come in and be your Lord and Savior. This isn't a matter of works. This isn't a matter of going to church. This is a matter of faith, putting your trust and faith in the work that Jesus did for you. And that's it. Receive that free gift today. And if you have, would you email the church? Let us know. We'd love to be in touch with you and share more with you. And if you're here today, come and talk to me after the service. I'd love to share more with you. So Lord, we thank you for that gift of life, that gift of salvation. And Lord, may we walk in that newness of life now all accomplished and carried out through the filling of your spirit. So we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for this time today. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's just sing this last song in closing. And then we're going to have just a couple of announcements to end our time to de- together.